ओनो मित्रुण सन्नो सन्न इंद्रो बृहस्पति सन्नो विष्णुक्रम नमो ब्रह्मणे नमस्ते वायो प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्मसी प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्म वदिष्यातम वदिष्यामि सत्यम वदिष्यामि तन्मामवतु तद्वक्तारमवतु अवतुमाम अवतु वक्तारम
दक्षिणामूर्त नम The text that we are planning to do is called Vedanta Saraha. <coughs> Sara means essence. So this text gives us an essence of Vedanta. Vedanta, as we know, means Vedanam Antaha. The end of the Vedas is called Vedanta. End of the Veda in the sense of the physical end. Inasmuch as these texts called Upanishads are found at the end of the Vedas, first in the beginning we have the what we call Samhita portions, the portion dealing with see, the prayers and the uh, hymns. The second is the section dealing with various rituals. Third is the section dealing with various meditations. And finally is the section dealing with the knowledge and inquiry into the nature of reality. <coughs> Since this portion appears at almost the physical end of the Veda, therefore also it is called Vedanta. This text itself will define what is Vedanta. But basically Upanishads, which are an unfoldment of the nature of truth, are called Vedanta. <coughs> and Saraha, Saraha means essence. This text presents before us the essence of the entire Vedanta. It is written by an author whose name was Sadananda Saraswati. He is also known as Sadananda Yogindra. Yogindra means the most exalted among the yogis. So Sadananda Yogindra is the name of the person who is supposed to have written this text. We don't find his name here, but then this is how it is known. <coughs> and he perhaps existed sometime in the 15th century, so that is what is thought, about 500 years ago. And what he has done is, he has given us the thought, which is the culmination of all the thinking that went on up to that point. Some very important texts were written before Sadananda. Upanishads which are the part of Veda, are the source book. They are not written by anybody, they are revealed texts. But based on Upanishads is written what we call Brahma Sutra, the mention of which will come, which are the aphorisms, which give us the analysis of the vision of the Upanishads. And also based on Upanishads is revealed what is known as Bhagavad Gita. So the Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, and the Brahma Sutra, these three texts form what we call the Prasthanatrai, the fundamental basis of Vedanta. And then a number of texts have been written to analyze these basic texts, to unfold the ideas contained in them, to expound the ideas contained in them. So number of texts were written by many authors. And whatever was written up to that point, all of that, has, those ideas have been compiled in this text. Therefore, even though this text is primarily in a prose form, we will find here quotations from other texts which had been composed until that point. And therefore, it is a very beautiful text which gives us the, a total overview of the entire Vedanta. <coughs> And therefore also it enjoys an important place in the study of the scriptures.
With this introduction, we can directly go into the text itself. I see that all of you have a book with you, which I believe must be the same as what I have here. It is the Ramakrishna Mission. Okay. And the text opens with an invocation, opens with prayer. During the text, you will not find much of the prayer. The text Vedanta Sara, as other texts of Vedanta, are of the nature of vichara or inquiry. So primarily what is done here is an inquiry into the nature of reality. Which inquiry is conducted with reference to what we experience in our day-to-day life. And so here is an analysis of the creation how the, what is the nature of the creation in order to understand the experiences that we have. A necessity to understand our own life, what we come across, what we experience, what this whole universe is made up of, how it came into being. So this analysis is what we will find in a Vedantic way in order to ultimately bring us to the understanding of the reality that lies in and through the universe, in and through our life. So Vedanta is nothing but vichara or an inquiry into the understanding of our own life. Our life consists of our own self as well as the world that we come across. And also the world presents before us the possibility of a creator of the world, creator. Thus we have fundamentally three elements in our experience. One is the individual, second is the world that we come across, and third is the creator of the world, God. In Sanskrit, Jiva, Jagat and Ishvara. Jiva means individual being, Jagat means the world, and Ishvara, the creator of the world. The created, the creator and the the individual, these are the three elements that really comprise our life. And therefore, if we understand these three, then we understand the life. We will find here in this text, as also in other texts, an inquiry into the nature of these three. What is the nature of the individual? What is the nature of the world? What is the nature of the creator? And what is the nature of the relationship there is between these three? And as you know very well, Vedanta reveals this fact, that these three really are not separate realities. The Jiva, the individual, Jagat, the creation, and Ishwara, the Lord, are not really three separate entities, but all of them really are nothing but the expressions of one fundamental reality. It is one fundamental truth, reality, whatever you call him, God, alone appears as the jiva, the individual. He alone appears as Jagat, the universe. He alone is the creator. <coughs> this is the truth that is revealed by Vedanta. And therefore, in order to understand or arrive at this vision, it is necessary to understand jiva, Jagat and Ishwara, the individual, the creation and the Lord. And we will find here an inquiry into all these three. And ultimately, the uh, the revelation of the fact that there is one fundamental reality behind all the three. <coughs> the method of teaching that is employed in Vedanta 
and also therefore employed in this particular text is called Adhyaroba Apavada. So I'm using certain words which we will come across again and again. The method that is employed for unfolding the nature of reality is called Adhyaroba Apavada. Adhyaroba superimposition. Apavada the negation. Adhyaroba superimposition. Apavada the negation. Superimposition and negation. Why is this particular method employed? Because there is what we call Adhyaroba or superimposition in our life. The reality or the truth as it is is not what is appreciated by us as it is. However, superimposition goes or takes place and therefore we at the moment experience or appreciate or understand rather the reality not as it is but then other than what it is. <clears throat> For example, our own self. That we do not understand or know our own self as we are. The, the scriptures reveal what is the nature of the self? And we say here, Sat Chit Ananda. The nature of the self is such existence, pure existence. Meaning the self is beyond the limitation of time. Chit, it is pure awareness. Free from limitation, free from any modifications, whatever. Untouched and pure. Ananda, it is full and complete. You, I and everyone is nothing but such Chit Ananda. Pure existence beyond the limitations of time, pure awareness, free from any modifications and impurities, self-revealing, self-shining, self-existent, self-established, and ananda. It is full and complete. This is the nature of each one of us. But then we don't at the moment know ourselves in that manner. We know ourselves as individual beings. And therefore, a sense of individuality is superimposed upon the true nature of the self. This is what happens. This is called superimposition. Similarly also, in the world, we come across this diversity, we come across the multiplicity and diversity. Again, the truth of the world is that this diversity is not the ultimate reality about the world. The multiplicity, diversity, division that we seem to experience is not the ultimate nature of the world. In and through the diversity, there is what we call the unity or oneness in the universe also. As the scientists also tell us, there is one energy of which alone manifests as this material creation. And therefore, this diversity is something that is superimposed upon the unity. And therefore, there is what we call superimposition or dhyarapa in our experience the world also. Similarly about God. It is said here that God is our true, our own nature. God is non-separate from other self. And still we feel that God is away from us. So that God is remote. That remoteness is something which is not right and still we feel that Lord is remote from us and therefore that remoteness is something that is superimposed upon God. The sense of limitation is something that is superimposed upon the self. And the multiplicity of the diversity is something that is superimposed upon the world or the universe. And thus, at every level, in our day-to-day -day experiences, 
what we call superimposition is taking place. We are at the moment not able to see the reality, see our own self or see the world or see the Lord as they are. We see them uh, as colored by our own mind. Just as there is a rope, but we do not see the rope as rope, we see it as snake. And thus there is a superimposition of what we call snake upon the rope. <coughs> and similarly also there is a superimposition of sense of limitation or individuality upon the self, superimposition of remoteness upon the Lord, and superimposition of diversity upon the unity. So since Adhyaropa or superimposition is already there, therefore we will find here that first of all the teacher will explain how this diversity came into being in the first place. How did this sense of individuality come into being as though? What is the reason for it? Why is there this Adhyaropa or superimposition? So there will be here uh, an attempt to explain the mechanism of how the superimposition or Adhyarupa came about. <coughs> and when we understand the life as we experience today, then it will be possible for the teacher to show us where there is a falsehood. In our life presently is a mixture of truth as well as falsehood. The Adhyarupa or superimposition is falsehood. That upon which the superimposition takes place is real. For example, in the example of rope and snake, the rope is real. And upon that takes place the superimposition of snake. So snake is false. Therefore, it is necessary for us to understand what is false as false and what is real as real. What is necessary is a discrimination. A viveka or discrimination between the self and the non-self between truth and untruth, or between satya and mithya. That's other words that we'll find that a rope is true, it is called satya, the snake is not true, it is a superimposition or a projection, it is called mithya. So we should know mithya as mithya, and we should know satya as satya. We should know what is superimposition as superimposition, and what is real as real. <coughs> That's all we have to do. In our life, this is all we have to do, is to know what is true is to be known as true, and what is false is known to be known as false. What is happening presently is that what is false or mithya is taken to be true. And that is the problem. That is what we call samsara or the fundamental problem in our life. Someone may ask, why should we bother about this? Why should we bother about understanding what is the truth? Why should we bother about this inquiry? Does it have any relevance in our life? <laughs> Is it going to help me how I should perform my job? Is it going to help me how I should get promotion? Is it going to help me in my day-to-day -day relationship? Does it have any relevance in my day-to-day -day life? The answer is yes, it has an extreme relevance. Because our life is based on our own perception. What we do is based on our own perception of life. How I respond to the world depends upon my own perception of the world. How I respond to the world depends upon my own perception of myself. Isn't that so? At any moment, the way I perceive myself, that forms a basis of how I conduct myself. At any moment, the way I perceive you or the world will form the basis of how I respond to the world. 
So all the things that I, I, the feelings and emotions and whatever all I experience within myself, all of them ultimately are based on my own perception about the life. So the perception of life is extremely important. That forms the basis of our whole life. And that alone determines whether we are happy or unhappy. If we perceive the thing correctly, then there is no occasion for us to be unhappy or sad. If you don't perceive the things correctly, then it's going to create all kinds of confusions and frustrations and disappointments in our life. Take the simple case of what they call a piece of shell, mother of pearl as it is called, lying on a beach. And while walking along the beach, what is out there in front of us is a piece of shell, mother of pearl. But it is glittering, it is shining and therefore I take it to be silver. <coughs> so what is my perception about that object? That it is silver. Now that's very important. Because when I look upon that object as silver, then necessarily arises, generally speaking, a desire in me to pick up that. Because silver is precious. And perhaps I have a need for money also and therefore moment I see silver, Immediately in my mind, there is a desire, I want that. And it doesn't stop that. Then there is, from that desire, then arises what we call an action. Of what? Of proceeding towards that object and acquiring it. Then I, I approach that piece of silver, I pick it up, take it in my hand, and what do I find? I find it merely a shell, without any value at all. What happens to me? I am disappointed or frustrated. If I had seen that object for what it is, if I had seen it as just a piece of shell, mother of pearl, then well, there would have been no desire in me either to avoid it or reject it or acquire it. And there would have been no occasion for any desire or any disappointment or frustration happening. And therefore, perception or the true understanding of the object is extremely important. Or another famous example that is always given is one of the rope and the snake. In fact, what is lying in front of me is a rope. But I don't perceive it as rope. I perceive it as snake. What happens? When I look upon it as a snake, then there arises in me what? A response, a reaction of fear. And avoiding that object, running away from that object. So all these reactions are created in me. If I had seen that object as rope, no reaction would have been created in me. But then, when I superimpose a snake there, lots of reactions are created in me, fear and whatever. And therefore, there is, whatever then happens, maybe I run away from there, or something happens to me, maybe I step over that and I feel that there is a snake bite and then I may suffer from the snake bite, and all kinds of things can happen. And all of these things have happened, not because there is a reason for them to happen, only because my perception is wrong. Therefore, what is fundamentally necessary is the true perception in our life. If the rope is known as rope, there is no occasion for any fear. If a mother of pearl or shell is known as shell, there will be no occasion for disappointment or frustrations. So we are not, there is no problem that we have to work in our life. There is no problem that there will be various experiences in life. There is no problem that we respond in our life moment to moment. That's all fine. What we call problem is, there are frustrations, disappointments, fears, and that is what is known as samsara. We want to become free from that. 
It's not that we want to become free from doing things in life or that we want to avoid life or whatever. All we want to do is to remain free from these disappointments, frustrations, fears, conflicts, all of which deprive me of my own true nature. As we will see, what is my true nature? Fullness, completeness. But I am at the moment not able to really own up that. I am not able to enjoy the fullness that I am. I am not able to enjoy the silence that I am. What do I require to be silent? What do I require to be happy? Really nothing. Because happiness or silence is already my nature. And there should have been no need for me to do anything to be happy because happiness is my nature. And still the fact remains that I don't experience myself to be happy, generally speaking. Or that silence is not all the time what I enjoy. There is a self-deprivation, a self-disowning. Why? Only because of these fears, these frustrations, disappointments, conflicts, all kinds of things which are there in my mind. They deprive me of what I am. They deprive me of the real joy of life. <clears throat> life is meant for being happy. Life is meant for enjoyment. And I am deprived of the real happiness or enjoyment only because of these conflicts, frustrations, divisions, fears and disappointments and whatever it is. And thus, what we call samsara, what we call deprivation, what we call self, what we call self-disowning, very often self-rejection, all of these arise from a false perception of myself, my own self, a false perception of the world, a false perception. And therefore, the true perception will be able to correct everything. So this is the premise. When we study Vedanta, the fundamental premise is this, that it is ignorance or false perception which is the source of all what we call problems in our life. And then when that perception is corrected, well, what we call all the problems will be resolved. And with that in mind is the inquiry. With that in mind also this method of what we call Adhyaroga Apavada, superimposition negation. Superimposition is how we falsely perceive the reality. Negation is to know the false as false so that we can, we would know the truth as truth. And this, this is a method that is employed in this text. And before proceeding with all this discussion, the teacher here also will discuss the nature of the disposition of mind, the preparation that is required in order for us to really totally benefit from this study. To gain this perception that the scriptures unfold the nature of truth, they make us see the, the truth as it is. But when can we see it? When will the words of the scriptures really become very clear to us? When we enjoy a certain frame of mind or a certain disposition of mind, when there is a preparation of the mind. So that also is going to be discussed what we call Adhikari or who is a fit student, what qualifications or preparations are there. These are also discussed first. <coughs> also will be revealed the need for going to a teacher and learning this from the teacher. And having then created that background, the author will start, will proceed with discussion of, as we said, the nature of the reality about the self, nature of reality about the universe, nature of reality about the Lord, and then we'll proceed to show what is the nature of ultimate reality lying behind them all, and what happens when one gains this knowledge. What happens is, one discovers oneself free. So discovery of freedom. 
which is what we want. What man wants, every moment in life is freedom. And what is meant by bondage? Bondage arises merely from what we call the false perception. And therefore, the true perception makes us free. Therefore, freedom is the same as the true perception or the knowledge. So, knowledge and freedom are one only because the bondage arises from ignorance. And therefore, what happens to a person when the person gains knowledge? What is the nature of a free person? That also is being discussed. <coughs> and then subsequently also the text discusses how actually in our own life we can go about doing this, what is required to be done by us in order to proceed with this study, proceed with the learning and owning up this knowledge. How we can gain the knowledge and own up the knowledge, what is required for that also is being discussed. And thus, this text provides us essentially all that we need to know with reference to Vedanta and how to study Vedanta and how to own up the vision of Vedanta. In this manner, this is a complete text. <coughs> now before proceeding with the actual text, the author here in the first two verses makes an invocation or prayer. First two verses are the prayer verses. What is the need for prayer? The need for prayer is very simple to acquire the favor or grace of Lord. <clears throat> Why do we need the grace of Lord? In order to overcome any obstacles or difficulties that may arise in course of our pursuit. And therefore we will find that prayer is an extremely important aspect of our own spiritual seeking or any kind of seeking. So prayer is an extremely important aspect of our life because moment a need to be able to overcome those obstacles. We require strength. We find very often that we don't have adequate strength. We don't have proper understanding about the life. And therefore, we seek the grace of Lord. We seek the strength. We seek the help. We seek an insight. And for that is the prayer. <coughs> very often, prayer is merely of the nature of salutation. It is not that in the prayer we necessarily ask for things or we make demands. That also we do. In the prayer very often we simply remember God. We simply remember Him. So here the first verse is an invocation work. Invocation verse. Of the nature of Ishtadevata Namaskara. Offering salutation or offering uh, the prostrations or salutation to the Lord. <coughs> As we said, the primary purpose of the prayer is to gain that strength, gain the favor, so that this task that we have undertaken could be fulfilled without the, any obstacles. Author necessarily wants, when he begins writing the text, that he should be able to complete the text without any obstacles. He also wants that the text should go to the right people. And it's not only enough that the text is written, but it is also desired that it be published. Not only it be published, but that it reach the right people. Not only that it reaches the right people, that they should be able to gain the knowledge which is the purpose of writing the text. 
And then alone the author feels that his work is really, he finds the satisfaction or fulfillment only when the writing is complete, the publication takes place, it receives an approval from the scholars, it reaches the seekers, and that the seekers really gain the benefit from the study of the text as it is intended. And therefore, with all of this in mind, with a prayerful heart, is the invocation of the Lord. <coughs> and very cleverly, or very, very nicely also, in the invocation, there are also certain suggestions. It is the style, that right in the beginning, in a capsule form, you present before the students what we can expect in this text. What is the subject matter of the text? What is the purpose of writing this text? All of these things are also suggested in these verses, in these two verses. And thus we read here the first verse. <coughs> Akhandam Satchidanandam Akhandam Satchidanandam Avang Manasagocharam Avang Manasagocharam Atmana Makhila Dharam Atmana Makhila Dharam Ashraye Bhista Siddhaye Ashraye Bhista Siddhaye Akhandam Satchidanandam Avang Manasagocharam Atmanam Akhiladharam Ashraye Abhishta Siddhe The verb in this verse is Ashraye. Ashraye, I take refuge. I take refuge of whom? Atmanam Ashraye. I take the refuge of the self. Atma means the self. I take the refuge of the self. What do you mean by take refuge? Ekatvena pratipadye. I take refuge of the self. <clears throat> what is the ultimate method of taking refuge? That I completely offer myself to the self. Atma means the self. Or the ultimate reality. I take refuge in the self meaning I completely offer myself to the self. <coughs> the offering is when there is no separation or distance between the one who offers and the one to whom the offering is made. When I offer myself, what is the, the most exalted method of offering? Is when really there is no separation between myself and the one to whom the offering is made. When I offer myself to the Lord, I offer myself so completely that there is no distinction or separation between the Lord and myself. So in this manner the author offers himself to the Lord, offers himself to the self. <coughs> what for? The purpose is stated, Abhishta Siddhaye. Abhishta Siddhaye, Siddhaye for the attainment of Abhishta, that which is desirable. So I pray to the self, I make an invocation to the self, I, I salute the self, I take refuge in the self, I offer myself to the self for the purpose of attainment of Abhishta, what is desirable? <coughs> what is desirable? What do we desire in life? Simple thing, we desire freedom. So when he says Abhishta Siddhaye, 
for the attainment of the desirable end, I, I offer myself. One meaning is that for attainment of freedom, for attainment of liberation, for attainment of completeness, of fulfillment in my life. Or you can say that in the context of writing this text, what is the wisdom, what is desirable, is that this text be complete without any obstacles. That there should be no obstacles at all. Also, that when I write, and when the seekers or the students listen or study the text, let there be no misunderstanding in them. Let there be, because in any communication, either the listener or the reader does not understand, or he understands it wrongly. So let there not be a lack of understanding, let there not be a misunderstanding. So that is also what is desired by the author, and therefore, May this task be fulfilled without any obstacles. May the seekers see the truth as it is intended to be communicated. And for accomplishments of this desired ends, I ashray, I offer my salutations, I offer myself to the Lord, to the Self. <coughs> now, Atma means a Self. The meaning of the word Atma is Self. Self means I. Here the author reveals, what is the nature of this I? Who is that I or the Self to whom I offer my salutation? Akhandam, Satchidanandam, Avang Manasagocharam, Akhiladharam. The four adjectives are used here. Akhandam, the Self is Akhanda. Khanda means division. Akhanda means undivided. The self that is undivided or non-divided. <coughs> undivided and indivisible. Why is it necessary to say that the self is indivisible or undivided? Because we experience divisions. At the moment, what is my experience? That your self is different from myself. That there are so many selves, there are so many atmas, that all the living beings as though are different from one another and therefore at the moment my experience says what? That there is division. You are different, I am different. That self is different, this self is different. What is the truth? Akhandam. In fact the self is undivided. <clears throat> there is no division between you and I or that self and this self. The idea is there is only one self that alone manifests as all the different living beings. There is only one consciousness or awareness. It's not that there are many consciousnesses or many awarenesses. There is only one consciousness or one awareness or one self alone that manifests itself as all these different living beings. In fact, that manifests itself as the, the whole creation consisting of the sentient and the insentient beings. So, Akhandam, the indivisible or undivided self. Or, there are no divisions of the nature of time or place or causality. I find myself at the moment divided, divided in time, limited. So khanda or division also means limitation. Akhanda means anantam, limitless. So self that is limitless, I offer my salutations to the self who is limitless. What kind of limitations do we experience? We experience limitations in time, we experience limitation in place, we experience limitation in objectivity. I am at this time and not at another time. 
I am here right now, I was not there in the past and I will not be there in the future. And thus I find the self is divided in time. Also experience a division in place. I am here and not elsewhere. I also experience a division in terms of my ability, that I am only a human being and therefore limited by or characterized by being human being and nothing else. When I am human being, naturally I am not anything other than that. When I am I, I am certainly not you or nothing other than I. So thus we constantly experience these limitations. Limitation in time, limitation in place, limitation in characteristics. Akhandam means anandam, free from all the limitations. <coughs> or there is another way of how the life is divided. How one thing excludes another thing, that is also called division. That this is a crystal, and crystal is not a book. This is book, book is not microphone. So crystal is one thing, book is another thing, microphone is a third thing, and thus in the world we come across all these different things. Each one excludes the other. The book is not the crystal, the crystal is not the book. And this exclusion, mutual exclusions are there. What is the nature of the self, or what is the nature of reality? That which does not exclude anything. The idea is that in all the various objects of the world, of the things and beings of the world, each one of which enjoys a name and a form, there are distinctions all right, but then in and through all these diverse and distinct names and forms, there is one Atma, one Self, that is unopposed to everything, that is undivided, that is free from every form of exclusion, which does not exclude anything. So for example, I am a human being, you are also a human being. In the human beings themselves, there are divisions. Divisions in the same class. This is called sajatiya, bheda. Division of the same class. Another kind of division is, I am a human being and this is a table. I am a sentient being, this is insentient. Here also is another kind of a division. Division of a different class, called vijatiya bheda means division of different class. So there are many classes, within one class there are many members, and within one member, namely human being also, there are many limbs. Even though I am one, my hands are different from my legs, and legs are different from my head, and whatever it is. So these three kinds of divisions that we come across, divisions in different classes, within one class, division of different members, and within one member, division of different limbs, like in a tree, there are branches, and then there are roots, and there are leaves, and there are fruits, and there are flowers. Each one is being different from the other one. Akhandam means free from all these kind of divisions. Self is that which is the same. Self is that which is the same in one member also. So in the hands, legs, head, all the members, one self. In one human being, other human being, same self. In the human beings and non-human beings also, the same self. This is called akhandam. Self, who is such? Ashray. I take refuge in that self or I offer my salutations to the self. <coughs> akhandam. Then, satchidanandam. Other qualification or attribute or the nature of the self is satchitananda. So, all these ideas are compressed in one verse. 
we will find that the whole text is nothing but an unfoldment of this verse. So if you find that too many ideas are contained in one verse, that is understandable. But then, all these ideas will be at length developed during the text. And therefore, here these first two verses give us overview of the whole text, or what, to be, what is to be expected in the text. That's the reason why we are briefly discussing these words. Akhandam Satchidanandam what is the nature of the self? Sat, Chit, Ananda. What is meant by Sat? Sat means existence. As means to be. And from that, this word is derived Sat. That Sat means existence. Sat also is that which is free from the limitation of time. Existence is that which is free from the limitation of time. So that which ever exists, Self is Sat, meaning that which ever exists. If there never was a time when Self was not, there never will be a time when the Self will not be. That which is free from the limitation of time, free from the concepts of past, present and future. That which is free from this concept of time or limitation of time is called Sat. So I or the Self is Sat, existence, free from the limitation of time. Even though I think that I was born, I think that I exist at the moment, I think that I will die. The fact is, I was never born, I never dies. Something is born and something dies. What is born? The body is born. What is constantly undergoing changes? The body is constantly undergoing changes. What is subject to death? The body is subject to death. Thus, how do I take myself to be? I take myself to be a mortal being. A being subject to birth, death, growth, decay, disease and whatever it is. Since this is my present perception of myself, there will be said here, what is the true nature of the self? Sat. Sat means existence. That which is free from birth, death, any change, any growth, any decay, disease or change and that is the nature of myself. Sat. <clears throat> what is the nature of this Sat? What's the nature of existence? It is Chit. Chit means awareness. This existence that we are talking about that the Self is, is awareful existence. When we think of existence, we think of something inert. That the crystal exists, that the table exists, that the various names and forms exist. And therefore, we think that existence is something that is inert. Here it said that Sat is none other than Chit. Chit means awareness. Awareness is that which reveals itself, self-revealing. So Sat is Chit, existence is self-revealing. And what's the nature of awareness? Chit itself is Sat, awareness is self-existing. Sat means self-existing, Chit means self-revealing. Therefore Self is Atma, the Self is self-existing. Meaning, it does not depend upon anything else for it to exist. And this is a very important thing to know. Why am I here? Or why am I? Why are you? There is no answer. If you ask me a question, why are you conscious? No answer. Why do we exist? There is no answer. We can ask you, there can be an answer to the question, why are you here? There can be an answer. Or oh, why are you not here? There can be an answer. But why are you? 
No answer. Because to me is my nature. Why are you conscious? Again, no answer. Because being conscious is my nature. Therefore, self-existent, self-conscious. <clears throat> the table, for example, here, does not exist by itself, nor it is conscious by itself. The table is there because the wood is there. Table is made of a certain material called wood. If you remove the wood from the table, table will not be. Like golden ornament is there because the gold is there. A wave is there because water is there. So we will find that everything in the world is because of something else. When it comes to the self, why is it there? Because it cannot be otherwise. So Sat means existence. It is self-existing, existing by itself without any reason. It is that which provides existence to everything. So that which provides existence to everything, that which because of which everything shines, is called Sat and Chit. And further, what is the nature of the self? Ananda. Ananda means of the nature of joy. Ananda. Happiness. How much happiness? Happiness without any limitation at all is called Ananda. You may call it fullness. Happiness, joy, ananda. That very ananda is sat. So happiness itself is self-existing. Happiness itself is self-revealing. Or existence is self-revealing and full. So self is the nature of existence, awareness, fullness. Satchidanandam. Self such as this, to that I offer my salutation. <coughs> it is important that it is ananda. It is important the self is complete of the nature of happiness because that is where we are interested. Our interest is not so much in existence. Our interest in life also is not so much in awareness. Where is our interest? Our interest is in happiness, fullness, freedom. And therefore the self is of the nature of happiness, freedom, fullness. And therefore it is that which is desirable by everyone. It is that which is sought after by everyone. And therefore, when that is known, then all the desires and all the seeking also gets fulfilled. That's the reason why we are interested in knowing the Self. <coughs> Akhandam, Satchidanandam. If that is so, how come we do not know that? How come we do not know it? Avang Manasa Gocharam. Because it is beyond what we call the Vang and Manaha. The Self is Beyond Wang, Wang means words, it's beyond words, Manaha meaning beyond thoughts. The idea is that, that which cannot be comprehended by words, or that which cannot be comprehended by the mind. When you say it, it transcends the words, it transcends the mind, because the self cannot be described in words, it cannot be comprehended by the mind, it cannot be objectified by the mind. So, Satchidanandam, Avang Manasagocharam, so that which is, which cannot be comprehended within the limitations of words and the thoughts. <coughs> Akhandam satchidanandam avang manasagocharam atmanam akhiladharam ashre abhishta siddhe akhiladharam So that which is adhara, that is support of akhila, of the entire creation. This self is not an individual self, but it is akhiladharam, meaning it is the support or the substratum of the entire creation. Interestingly enough, that the self is not merely a limited entity. What is the dimension of the self? The dimension of the self is revealed in the second line, Akhiladharam. That is Adhara, 
or substratum of the entire creation. What is meant by substratum? That from which the whole creation has arisen, that by which the whole creation is sustained, and that by which, that into which the whole creation goes back. Just as the gold is the adhara or the substratum or the support of all the ornaments, or the water is the adhara or the support of all the waves, and so also the self, which Satchit Ananda is adhara or substratum of the entire creation. Meaning, the self is the self of the whole creation. To self such as this, Ashray, Abhishta Siddhay, for the fulfillment of, the atta- for the attainment of the desirable end, Ashray, I salute the self, I take refuge in the self, I offer myself to the self, I offer my prayers to the self. <coughs> this is how the first verse is the verse of invocation, in which also indirectly we are told what is the subject matter of this text? What is it that the text is going to unfold? It is going to unfold the self. Which self? Which is akhanda, indivisible. Satchidanandam, which is existence, awareness, fullness. It is avangmanasagocharam, that which is beyond the limitation of words and thoughts. Akhiradharam, that which is the substratum of the whole universe. Self or reality such as this is going to be the subject matter of this text. What for? Abhishta Siddhay. What is the purpose of this text? Abhishta Siddhay. For the attainment of the desirable end in life. What is the knowledge of this text or what is the knowledge of this self is going to give us? It is going to give us the Abhishta Siddhi, attainment of the desirable. Attainment of the fulfillment or attainment of the freedom in our life. <coughs> who is the person who is qualified? Well, who is interested in this? Who is interested in freedom? Who is interested in the fulfillment in life is the student who is qualified for this text. And this text reveals this, the nature of this truth. And thus what we, what we will discuss tomorrow is Anubandha Chitushtam. The fourfold factors or the four requisites are also thus suggested in this very first verse. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavantau punah punah Ishvaro gururatmedi Murti bheda vibhagine Vyomavad vyapta dehaya Dakshina murtaye namaha Om shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo namaha Hari Om